there was this feeling we've never we'd never done a sequel. None of us had ever done a sequel, although we had offers on a, virtually every film we'd worked in, because we thought it was bad luck. We thought it was crass, um, and we thought, why do it? You know, let's you've done something great. Let it let the legend you know remain. We can only screw it up if we try it again. But then we started thinking, uh, well, if we could come up with a with a concept that seemed worthy, that really progressed us in some way, that had something new to say, then we could, let's do it. So we started talking. I, I had some notions, Dan had some ideas. Um, we played with many different permutations of what happened to the Ghostbusters after the first movie. And we finally settled on something that would seem meaningful for, for all of us, and that's what we pursued. Welcome to a very special edition of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is our one year anniversary episode. Can you believe it? Well, I, you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. My name is Troy. Uh, with me is my best bud, Brad. Brad, how are you this evening? I'm fantastic, man. I'm really excited. Celebrate. Good times. Come on. Yeah. It's a celebration. Look, <laughs> folks, if this, is, if this is the first time you've tuned in, so a year ago, Brad and I were sitting around, um, and, and we talk as we often do, or text, I should say, and we were watching a particular film, and the idea came up that, hey, this movie that I happen to be watching and, and sharing my opinion on, Brad was like, oh, yeah, I, I really like that film, too, and we were discussing how could, how could not everybody love this film? And pretty soon that became what you're listening to right now, which is we, we just started listing all these films that we said, man, I cannot believe that this didn't do so well at the box office, or I can't believe critics just totally trashed this thing. And, and that is how the Not A Bomb podcast come around. So just a little reminder, once a week we get together, Brad picks a film or I pick a film, we sit back and we talk about it and we try to figure out, you know, why, why didn't this thing take off? Because... Uh, maybe I like it or Brad likes it. Sometimes we're in agreement. Sometimes we think we like it. Find out, nope, it it is a piece of junk. But Brad, what movie are we going to celebrate the one-year anniversary with? We are talking about the sequel to Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2 from 1989. Little fun fact, Troy, this and another movie that came out in June of 1989 were the first two films I saw in the movie theater. Really? This one yes. and another one. Yes. Wow. This, this, is, this is a very special episode. So, but the, the reason why we're picking this film is what, Brad? The, this was the movie we were talking about, right? Yeah. This, Ghostbusters 2 was like the one where you and I just kept thinking, wow, I, I, I can't believe critics hate this movie so much. And we'll get into financially, but you know, it made money. Um, it made not significantly less, but it made less than the first one. And it did not kind of catch on the cultural zeitgeist like the first one did. So, you know, when you and I were texting a year ago, um, we were talking like, hey, wouldn't it be kind of a cool idea to, to podcast again and talk about these films that bomb at the box office or critics don't like um, or both? And then we also we threw around the idea of like, forgotten movies as well but yeah. then we were like we're opening up way too much of uh 
of a rabbit hole there. So let's just keep it to to those two criteria. So and and it was here we are. Yeah, it was pretty easy. I'll say this: it was pretty easy to come up with really a, a list. Fifty two movies. This will be the fifty second film. But if you think about it, it, it was not hard to find movies that you and I liked or even wanted to talk about that bombed at the box office and maybe even had a double whammy, didn't do it well at the box office, but was a critical failure too. So um, hey, look, before we get to the film, I, I mean, it, it's a party, right? It's a one year anniversary and you can't have like an anniversary party without a gift. I'm starting a new job tomorrow, so I am not drinking tonight. So Okay, no, no, that's cool. But uh, somebody had sent us a present. I kept mine, but I put yours in a box and I sent it your way. I have uh, it in my hand. Yes. And and mine was a slash birthday present because I just had my birthday in May along with an anniversary gift. And it fits with um, our show specifically. So I think I know what yours is. I, I, I think I know what mine is just simply because of who sent it had been talking about this. Or we had been, you know, exchanging some information. But Brad, before I I open up mine, I really want you to open yours first, just just okay. in case it is what okay. I think it is. So I, let me see if I can get this to kind of come through on mic. But this is a box. I, I'm opening up this box. It's it's right. relatively heavy. Yes, there's. Yes, I packed it very well. I wanted to make sure. Okay, it looks like this. Well, they can't see that, Brad. Yes, I know. It it feels. Like a book of okay, some kind. Cool. Um, let me get my box cutter here. Be careful with it, this. just in I, case. Is it making noises or? Not yet. It's not a severed head, so I'm good. Okay. What What did it, you get? This Southland Tales: The Prequel <laughs> Saga. Let is, me guess. Can I guess who sent this? Okay. Yeah. This is a Randy gift, isn't it? No. Oh, wrong. it's not. No, it's not. Okay. So, uh, I, let me, whoop, hold on. I got to get mine. <laughs> so I had gotten the same thing, but mine is the hardcover edition. <laughs> Cause you would appreciate it more. Well, and it's number 360. It is signed by Richard Kelly himself. Oh yeah. That, that would not come in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just a reminder for everybody, um, Southland tales. We, we reviewed this a few weeks ago uh, the interesting thing about the film was there is a prequel saga, uh, I guess of sorts, a chapter one, two, and three that was done in a graphic novel. And then four, five, and six. Episode 48 on our podcast. Episode 48. So I, I believe the film represents four, five, and six. But the interesting thing about this book is it's super hard to find. So if you go to Amazon, if you go to eBay, something of that nature, this thing goes for a pretty penny. Just the um soft cover edition so i just a big thank you to jose oh jose okay jose tracked down we we had been um going back and forth because i was trying to find a, just a digital version of it because i wasn't going to you know pay the the ebay or the amazon used prices etc and um jose said he knew some folks who knew some folks or knew a guy and uh, yeah Thank None you of that so surprises much. me. Jose knows people. Jose he's knows everybody. That, he's got that public defender money too, so he could, you know, he could pay for them. <laughs> and and this is the cool thing because uh, I I did I I have an appreciation for this film, unlike yourself. But I, I'm excited because now you were you were making comments about the graphic novel. You can read this and 
and come back and say, Hey, did it help, uh, your appreciation or, you know, um, I will absolutely read this. Like, yes. I'm excited. Absolutely. Jose gave me two copies. He gave me the hardcover and then he gave me a paperback so that I don't read the hardcover since it's signed. Oh, that's, that's a true collector mentality wow, right there. I, Jose, I appreciate it very much. Um, that is the best gift ever. Yes. It's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. Anytime, I mean, we have people send us stuff because we do a podcast. It's ridiculous. Don't do that, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, we've had a listener send us uh, a film because you thought you had it. and Yeah, and the you fall. Didn't. I the got fall. the fall from somebody. So, Well, we, we kind of put, um, I don't know, we, we asked some listeners to send us some questions, some thoughts on the one-year anniversary. And Brad, we had people send in emails. We also had a lot of social media posts. We wanted to go through and sort of pick out our favorite questions, but let's start with the emails. I, I think we got a couple of good ones that we wanted to share and they have some questions in them too, right? Yeah. Um, our first one is from Josh or I'm sorry, from Jeff. He says, Hey bombers, congratulations on your one year anniversary to prove I'm an OG fan. You read my question on the chopping mall episode. Oh, popular episode, which, which side note <laughs> is one of the best episodes of the podcast, which funny enough, we get that all the time. Everybody loves chopping mall. And I, I'm trying to, it's probably the movie, right? Because I, I went back and listened. Like, I, it's a great episode, but I, I don't know. I think Chopping Mall helps. Yes. The subject matter. Okay. I agree. Um, I've recommended that episode to a lot of my friends. Anyway, just wanted to say how much I love the podcast. I've been at home by myself during the pandemic, and discovering your show has really helped me in the past year. Wow, dude. Yeah, thank oh, you. That's, that's cool. Uh, very nice to say. Uh, so for my question... Since theaters are opening back up, what is your go-to movie theater order? Uh, thanks again for all the content and can't wait to hear more. Troy, when you go to the theater, where is, what are you ordering? What am I ordering? Yes. What's your order? Uh, Cameron and I order the same thing. We just, we just always split a large popcorn. That's it? That's it. I mean, every wow. once in a while, I'll splurge and get some Swedish fish or something of that okay. nature. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty plain. I mean, we, we went to a movie today actually. And, uh, same thing. Uh, it, and it's funny, the wife always gets the soft pretzel with the cheese angel get that or nachos. Cameron and I do the popcorn. I mean, we're, we're creatures of habit from that perspective. Gotcha. How about you? I go all out. So if I'm going to the movies, I'm going to make myself feel like crap the next day. So I'm not eating well. Oh, wow. Um, I'm getting a large cherry Coke. Okay. That's like my one vice is cherry Coke medium popcorn and a candy of some kind. If they have sour patch kids, I'll do sour patch kids. Um, I'm also a big fan of the, uh, cookie dough bites. So one of those, the combination of those three, cherry Coke, large cherry Coke, medium popcorn, candy. Wow. I'll say this. If I'm getting all the calories as much as I can, if you come to Baltimore, when it opens back up, it's not up and uh, open yet, but uh, to me, my, my favorite theater in Baltimore is the Parkway. It's it's a very historic theater. They show um, art films, older films, et cetera. It's gorgeous interior, but it has the best movie theater popcorn I've ever had. And apparently they order um, the kernels, et cetera, from a local farm. But hands down, it, even people that aren't huge into popcorn, I've taken them to this theater. And I'm like, you have to order the popcorn. I don't care what else you order. You got to do the popcorn. They have, they have a nice like uh, bar in the lobby too, but I'm telling you this popcorn, will, it's life changing. That's how good the popcorn I, is. I love popcorn. Yeah. I well, popcorn. this will set a new bar. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Got another okay. one? Okay. Yes. I got another one All from right. Ben. 
Hey, Ben. Uh, ben, is, ben has emailed quite a few times. Hey there, Bomb Crew. Congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Like you guys said, if the past year has taught us anything, it's celebrating milestones is important. Before my question, I'd like to express just how much I love your show. It's easily one of my favorite movie podcasts, and the main reason is the chemistry of Brad and Troy. Side note. He said one of, I mean, I'll take it, but one of your favorites. Like, <laughs> Don't be greedy. Don't year. be greedy. Okay. Uh, you guys can be so yin and yang, but when you talk about something like Big Trouble or Brazil, I can see how much certain movies mean to you guys. Um, I would figure I would, I figure you guys will discuss, but here are my favorite episodes. Oh, cool. So yeah. He listed out his five favorite. Number one is Love and Monsters which was an excellent show. Love uh, number two is Chopping Mall. Of course. Number three is Samurai Cop. Yeah, that was fun to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four, which I can't believe this, is Solar Babies. <laughs> uh, what? Number four is Solar Babies? He said favorite episode, so it might have been, I, I don't know. I hope it's not like favorite movie. No. Okay. No, All right. No. Good. All right. Number five is Showgirls. Uh, I, you know, I got to say, Showgirls is one of my favorites, too. Jose was a was an amazing guest, but out out of all of the movies that we had picked, that was the one I one hundred percent was just in my head going, "I'm not going to like it. I'm, I'm going to walk into this thing. I, I've avoided it for so many years, and it surprised the heck out of me." Especially the conversation that we had and and having Jose come on the show and give us a ton of background on it. So yeah, uh, just side note. Showgirls is our most popular episode by far. It's not even close. Oh, really? Yeah. If you talk about women who get naked in a movie, the internet will listen. I'm, so. Well, I'm going to say it probably has more to do with Jose. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he brings a huge crowd. Um, okay. So now for my question. What's a movie that was successful that you expected to bomb? Like you saw the trailer and said, no way that movie makes any money. Thanks for all the great content. I listen to your show every week and have started going back through the old episodes to hear those again. Wow. I'll be honest. Most uh, summer blockbuster films, when the trailer comes out, un unless it's something that's in my wheelhouse, I am looking at it going, there is no way that thing... I'll give you a classic example. So the, the latest Fast and Furious. I'll be one to say those are one of the films that... I think are fun if you can turn your brain off. They vary in quality. The I think legit Fast Five is a fantastic movie. It, it is. Like, I, I actually love that movie a lot. I, I would say the first five, six, may, maybe seven, I do enjoy. You get to eight, and then when I saw the trailer for this latest one, I'm like, that looks ridiculous. There, there is, I to me, it looked like the film that would do the coveted jump the shark moment for a franchise and everybody go, Nope, I'm now, it, now it's in Looney Tunes physics. So I was literally shocked to see how much money, cause it hasn't released over in the U S but it seems to be making a, a lot of money yeah. overseas. Yep. Which boggles uh, my mind. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I was going to say all the transformer movies. That's another good one. I, I, I saw that first one and thought it was trash and then they continued to do it four or five more times. Now I will say the Bumblebee movie. I like a lot. My son is big into the Bumblebee movie and I've seen it countless times and it's actually really good. But uh, that second one and third one are two of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. 
I say that a lot on this podcast, but this time I really mean it. Well, I I kind of like the the first one and the second one are okay, but man, after that, uh, and I I don't think I've seen some of the later installments. I did I did watch Bumblebee. I did enjoy that one. I'm with you, but uh, yeah, I mean most most movie franchises, especially when the trailer comes out. Uh, again, if it's I'll say this: if if you put a ninja in it, I'm I'm pretty much sold. I'm I'm pretty excited for the the GI Joe origin Snake Eyes. I'm really hyped about that, but I love GI Joe. So I saw that trailer at the the theater yesterday, and seeing it on the big screen uh, was pretty nice. I know you went to the theater. Did you get a lot of propaganda for going to the theater for your previews? I did, but I I felt like um, it was it was a lot of thank you for coming back. <laughs> Ours was, thank you for coming back, but don't watch these movies that you can on the TV because that's too small. You want to see them on the big screen, don't you? Don't you want to see them on the big screen? It's like, I do. I do, but... That's why you're there. You're trying hard. So, all right, those are our emails. That's a good question. So, uh, Jeff, right? And Ben? Jeff and Ben. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I love it when we get emails just because it feels like you're interacting with somebody. And, and you and I are big fans of just... I don't know. We we've met at a convention. Nothing pleases me to just go up to complete strangers, you know, in the in the right environment, and just start talking about your favorite film, and going back and forth on it. So thank you both, Jeff and Ben, for participating over the last year. We love all the emails you send in. We, we just love chatting with you. Uh, I I did get a couple of questions over our social media accounts, and these are some some great questions. Before I start, Brad. Do we want to go through the numbers? Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. So we've done 51 episodes so far. This is number 52. And I was kind of curious, if we were to, if we were to take a look back and, <laughs> and you and I have not agreed on every film, and I, I will be 100% honest, I get a lot of enjoyment out of knowing that I'm going to choose something and you might not enjoy it. I mean, again, anytime I can recommend something Dario Argento, I, I get goosebumps. I get so excited. <laughs> but do you have any type, you're the numbers guy. Have you gone back to look at the list and seen how our numbers play out in terms of how many times did we agree on it? Um, who gave the most bombs away? How did our guests do, et cetera? Yeah, I, I've got all those numbers for you, Troy. Uh, it's kind of like you're teeing me up here. Um, so, I, I broke it down like this for our counts, Brad, Troy, and guest, okay. um, two categories, bombs or not a bombs. All right. Uh, no surprise, but Troy hands out the most, not a bombs out of the, let's see. Out of the 51? Sorry. Out of the 51, the thing that updates have to do quick math here. Okay. Um, you got, let's see, that's add to, so 45, not a bombs. So I, I like to have fun. Yes. You're, you only gave out six bombs. Okay. That makes sense. Six. Okay. How many uh, did you give out, Brad? <laughs> I gave out 36 not a bombs, and I gave out 15 bombs. 15 bombs. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so you're, our, you are a little bit little bit more critical than I am. I think that's played bit, out over the year. Okay. A little bit more critical. Our guests um, are 21 not a bombs and five bombs. So we've had guests on roughly almost half our shows, and they have almost as many bombs as you do. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So, but, you know, we've asked them to come on things like 
Solar Babies and a few other ones that ended up being kind of stinkers. There are two total bombs on our list. Do you remember the two bombs that we agreed on? So if I'm trying to think about going back through the discussion early one. Now we didn't have a guest on this, but I, I don't think, I think you and I just barely called the last action hero a bomb, right? Yes. Last action hero was our first agreement of a, of a total bomb. Okay. And I have said the second one a few times. It's gotta be solar babies. Solar babies was the only film to get three bombs. Um, Oh, wow. So I believe John was on that episode. He, myself and you all agreed that that movie was a bomb. We've had 32, definitely not a bombs. So we've agreed on 32 films. Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. What else you want to know? Anything else exciting? Well, I, I bring that up because that happened to be one of the questions that we had got from our good friend, Jose, who sent us the Southland Tales. So the first thing he, he wanted to know was what are the movies that were and, and he spelled it so that we can sound it out correctly, divisive, <laughs> where the decision was split between you and Brad, excluding the guests. So there's some numbers for you, Jose. Uh, I, I don't think it's a surprise. I mean, I am probably a little bit more forgiving on most things. Brad is a little bit more critical, I think. Yeah, so if you like, you know, average us out, we're, we're like the perfect film critic. Yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. We're, we, I feel like we line up to how maybe Siskel and Ebert would have handed out some things. I mean, generally they, they agreed on a lot of stuff, but you know, when they decided to throw down and mom and dad had a fight, they, they had a fight. <laughs> and I, they did. I think Southland Tales is a great example of that. Um, another one, uh, that he asked, he, he gave us four great questions. So I want to start there out of the 50 movies, which ones have you all revisited after recording exclude anything John Carpenter because it's John Carpenter. So when you go back and look at the list, uh, we may have talked about it. Did you go back and watch any again after we talked about it? Uh, yes, I've watched master Z again. I've watched, um, Oh, one more. Love and Monsters. Okay. The two I wrote down. Yeah. Um, no surprise. I went back and watched Remo Williams. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I, I've, I've watched Streets of Fire only because my son loves that film. So any anytime we can find an excuse to watch it, we'll do that. He dropped that on me the other day, and that was shocking. That was fantastic. I did watch Love and Monsters. I think I've watched Love and Monsters a couple of times just because – it's, it's a movie I love introducing people to because it just flew under the radar, obviously got, you know, released during the pandemic and, um, it's fantastic. I've, I've watched man from uncle, um, after we've recorded it and uh, big trouble in little China, even though we only recorded that a couple of weeks ago, I, I think I watched it again, just had it in the <laughs> background. Cause uh, I love that film. Um, Brad, have you rewatched and changed your opinion of Remo Williams? Can I do a spoiler alert, Troy? Yes, go ahead. Um, if Troy and I make it to episode 100, we are, we have agreed that we are going to do the, the re Remo Williams episode where I go back and watch Remo Williams again. So I have not, but in less than a year in 48 weeks, I will be watching Remo Williams for the second time for our re Remo Williams episode 100. That alone is going to motivate me to keep doing this. I know. I <laughs> because know. I'm going, I, I'll send you the comics. I'll, I'll send you, I don't know. I, I'm going to take full ad campaigns for the theater that you go and watch your movies in. 
and make sure that, I don't know, I'm just, I'm hitting you over the head on how much you should love that film. Uh, question, last question from Jose. These, these are fantastic, Jose. Thank you. Troy, out of the movies reviewed, which one would benefit greatly from swapping out the lead actor or actress and replacing him, her with Jackie Chan? That That's a tough question. Um, if, if I were to go back through the list, I'd probably gravitate to something like The Hunted and take Tommy Lee Jones out and replace him with Jackie Chan now. So an, an older Jackie Chan, something along the lines, uh, character like that he did for The Foreigner or even Crime Story. I think that would be interesting is have, you know, Jackie Chan in another serious role, you know, really hunting down a protege that he created. I, I, I think I liked The Hunted a little bit more than you did. Mm-hmm. And I know that's based on a real life, you know, outdoors guy who trains Navy SEALs and everything with knives. Allegedly. Allegedly. But uh, I, w- I would love Jackie Chan to take uh, The Hunted and redo it. That's my pick. Miami Connection. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Showgirls? Yeah. Okay. Showgirls. <laughs> Miami, Miami Connection. Miami Connection. How good, would, how good would Miami Connection be if Jackie Chan uh, was in that movie? Uh, that, that would be awesome. Although Jackie can sing, I don't know if he can play guitar. It would be awesome if what's well, his name couldn't play the guitar in that movie either. I know that's what I was just saying is like, it'd be awesome if Jackie still didn't know how to play guitar, but sang really well into Miami connection. I, I would, yeah, I would like to see that too. That'd be awesome. This was a great question, um, from somebody on Twitter, follow the trawler. What movie great classic do you just not like? Is there a movie out there that everybody considers a classic and you go, Hey, not for me. So, yeah, so I went to the AFI Top 100, and I like all of them pretty much. So the first one that came up that was like number eight was The Graduate. I am not a huge Graduate guy. Oh, really? So that would be the first one that would be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, if you asked me to watch The Graduate right now, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm all right. I'm going to go to bed. Is there any others? Uh, that That's like classic. Is there a contemporary classic that you would pick? Uh... I don't know, man. Like I'm a kind of a sucker for that kind of stuff. So, you know, <laughs> uh, contemporary. Let me think about that. Okay. Tell me yours. There's two that come to mind because I think it, w- when I think of like a classic film, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe something pre eighties. Uh, and I don't know why I drew a line in the sand, but I feel like the eighties is when I started discovering film behind the scenes and, maybe being a bit more critical than just like, oh, there's cool stuff blown up on screen, et cetera. Uh, so if if I were to pick something, and, and here's what I did, I went back through like AFI lists. I also looked at the Criterion Collection, what was out there, because I know Criterion is known for films that sort of push the boundaries, et cetera, and have influenced cinema over history. And there was one that just totally gravitated. Yeah, like Armageddon. Yeah, like Armageddon. Um, there's one, and we've actually talked about it on our older podcast show, and it's come up in discussion on a couple of other podcasts that I listen to, and everybody just loves this film, and I don't get it. Uh, but it's it's Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows. I am not a fan of that film, and I know we discussed it, and um, everybody kind of refers to it as a as a masterpiece about the French Resistance um, you know, during the war, I, I just, I really find it to be a slog to get through and, uh, it, it lacks a lot of tension from my opinion. Now, if we're talking contemporary classic, uh, the, <laughs> and I think you and Brett and some others like this, I can't stand the notebook. 
I absolutely hate that film. <laughs> You're wrong. No, wrong, I think wrong, I think wrong. that movie is terrible. I I don't I don't understand uh, for the life of me why everybody thinks that is a romantic film. I mean, I'm a Ryan Gosling fan. Uh, he. Uh, he, he kind of annoys me in that film, but is it Rachel McAdams? Oh my God, yes. she's terrible. I, I just that movie is terrible in my opinion. So, I did think of my contemporary one. Okay, what's your contemporary one? Forrest Gump. Oh, okay. I just think it's overly sappy, for sappy's sake. You don't you don't like it in terms of you know a guy just going through the historical context. No, I mean and, that part's okay. Like, so I guess maybe on that side is more like the blind side, like. I think the blind side is a garbage movie that is sappy for sappy sake. So I'll, I'll, I'll change my answer to the blind side. Okay. All right. I like those. Um, I, I grabbed one more question. I thought this was a good one. Uh, so Alex, our good friend, Alex from friends with Cinefits, uh, sent a message and said, what do each of you say is the best movie and worst movie you have discussed? So I'll st- include big trouble. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, of all the movies we've talked about, do you, do you have a best of what, what is the best movie we talked about? I mean, it'd be big trouble for me followed by <sighs> Oof, what's our second. That That's a tough one. I mean, I, I, I have, I, I, I guess I have my top three of the ones we talked about, if that makes sense. Yeah. What's your top three? Um, big trouble is number one. I would put Dragons Forever as number two, obviously, Jackie obviously, Chan. Obviously, yes. And I sincerely, out of all the ones that we've talked about that I've, I've watched consistently over and over again is, is Love and Monsters. I've, I really enjoy that film big time. So as much as we always disagree, I was going to say Big Trouble, Solo, and Love and Monsters. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. All right, so worst film. What is the worst film that – I know mine – yeah, I, it's Solar Babies. Yeah, uh, that that thing was terrible. I have, a t- I have a tie for two. Okay, Tenebrae and Southland Tales. So, really? I'm, yeah. That book is going to change your mind. I hope it does. I hope it does. And again, I got that stupid Arrow Blu-ray, and I'm like, do I want to read this thing now and then go watch it again? Yeah, I think you do. God, Jose, <laughs> curse you. <sighs> um. Well, listen, those are some great questions. Thank you for everybody sort of answering the call and letting us take a look back at 51 episodes. We've had such a blast doing it. Again, if you had told me more than five people listen, I'm shocked. Uh, We we did this just more as an excuse to kind of say, hey, before we start the work week, let's just get together and, and talk about a film and it it saves us a lot of time texting back and forth because that's what we (laughs) do every day anyways. But before we kind of go on to this week's film, I do want to say a big special thank you because the thing I didn't expect was over the last 51 episodes, people reaching out and saying, hey, really like your show. Can we jump on? Um, I like that film. I want to talk about it. Or I don't know if I like that film, but I definitely want to talk about it with you guys. So I want to give a, a big shout out to some of the guests that have come onto the show. And these are people that are going to show up, I know, in the next 52 episodes. Um, between now and the re Remo Williams hundredth episode, but a big thank you to John, John Nance. Uh, he has, I, I think been on the most episodes so far. I think so. I think he's like six or seven. Yeah. So we always, always enjoy John, John coming onto the show. We've had a lot of fun with Brett. 
uh, and Charlie, I, I would say Brett and Charlie specifically are um, in our inner circle of folks that you know we talk to on a regular basis, and it's always fun when they come on the show because I think it gives sort of an instance of what it's like just to hang out with us. Hang a out with bit. us, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I, I want to give a huge shout out to Caesar. So Caesar runs a website um, called FilmSmash.com, and he came on for our Donnie Yen discussion. Uh, what was it back in August? We went through the Ip Man films. Yeah, he was for Ip Man 4. Yeah, so if you want to know anything about Asian cinema, just go over to FilmSmash.com. The articles that he writes and the reviews he does, he is my go-to guy. I'll, I'll give you a great example. There's a film coming out. I think it's in July. Wellgo USA, Wellgo USA is releasing it. It's called Hydra. And it's a Japanese film. The trailer's out there. This is a film that Caesar was telling me about, oh gosh, um, a good six, seven months ago, if not more than that, almost a year ago, uh, because he happened to review it for one of the festivals he went to. He just absolutely loved it. And he says, you got to put this thing on his radar. A couple of years later, boom, it's now getting released over here. So definitely, definitely check out that website. Um, Alex, Friends with Cinefits, a uh, fantastic little podcast. He came on for um, what I think is one of our funnest episodes, Ready to Rumble. Have you changed your mind on that one yet? No, no, no. Okay. Um, the VHS Files podcast has been a huge collaborator. Again, it's another fantastic film podcast. If, if you want to, I don't know, have an auditory experience of what it's like to just walk through a video store and just talk about films... You got to go back and just listen to all the episodes they put out. But we've had the extreme pleasure of having Josh, Jenny, and Eric all on the show. I think Josh has been on a little bit more than um, Jenny and Eric, but we definitely are going to get all three back. They are fantastic. A big, big thank you to Jose. Jose has been on a couple of shows. He's obviously going to be the catalyst to uh, get you to watch Southland Tales again. So, Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, Sammy from the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, another just that was between that and night of the living podcast. Those were the first two podcasts that I don't know. I started listening to about film and uh, for me, it was a huge honor for Sammy to kind of raise his hand and say, Hey, would it be okay? I, I know you guys are going to talk about this film. Can I jump on there? And he's been on a few times. Um, and he's, he's got actually a couple of episodes coming up, um, that we're going to do with him. But we could not, uh, I don't know, be more excited to have Sammy on the show. I, I think those are fun as well. And and Sammy's another one that I think you and I text with and, and talk with yeah. like on a consistent basis. Yeah, him and Josh, you know, it's like these people that, and Jose even, like I, I didn't know them really before we started this podcast. And now I have these people that I talk movies with throughout the week and it's kind of makes it worth it. Um, you know, I have three new friends because of it in – friends with people who listen to our show that only know my voice and know a little bit about me just through the podcast. So, you know, 52 weeks, you know, we've, we've made an impact, which is like way more than what I thought we were going to do. So I'm proud of it. Yeah, me too. Uh, and, and another one I want to give a shout out to is back in October when we were doing sort of spooky movies for night of the demons there, there's a, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a streaming service or something on the Roku. It's a channel, Suburban Screams. And oh, yeah, yeah. my daughter and I are huge fans of horror hosts in general. So we we love that whole, I guess, genre of movie watching experience. 
And one of our favorites was the housewife of horrors. So I want to say a big thank you because it was one of the, I don't know, it was one of my favorite things to get was, um, Rachel and Kevin, the, um, Mrs. Mrs. and Mr. of Horror from Housewife of Horror. It's a, it's a great show. You'll, you'll find it on Suburban Screams. They sent a little intro in for us. Um, so I hope to do something with them in the future. They got a film festival coming up in, I think, October. Mm-hmm. That as that gets closer, I'm sure we'll be sharing a lot of details to that. So a big thank you. And last but certainly not least, uh, I'm going to be biased here. My two favorite episodes that we've done, simply because I'm you know, you, you and I, Brad are dads and, and I know your kids are just getting into some of the films that you discovered as a kid. Yes. Mine are in their teenage years. And so I have had one graduate from high school. <laughs> I just have one graduate from high school and we're now at that level of, of movie watching where they're coming to me with, Hey, have you heard about this film? I just watched it or I'm interested in this, but I was so excited to have Angelica and Cameron each on an episode. Angelica was on for Zodiac and Cameron came on for Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, just if I'm the, the best thing I've ever done in my life is just have any involvement in those two. And I was, I was super excited to have them come on our little podcast COVID project and, and just the world to kind of, you know, hear them and introduce them and, and get a little of a taste of, of what it's like to just talk movies um, with those two. They're super bright. Yeah. They were both did amazing jobs. I was super impressed and they both came really prepared and it's like, Oh, I, I need to start doing my homework a little bit more, <laughs> but yeah, we, we had amazing guests. We had amazing time just bringing people on. I can't wait to, I, I don't know, introduce, um, uh, more of our friends and get them on. We've had a couple of emails uh, from other podcasters and other people who have asked to come on the show. We just got to find the right movie and bring them on. So hopefully we can do a few more collaborations, but we're always interested. I mean, I we've had some offers to go on other shows. Timing-wise, we just haven't been able to make it work. I mean, my goodness, we if you think about it, we did a show a week and we never missed a beat. And I don't know how we did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, well, I, I guess it's time to talk about the movie that kind of kicked this whole thing off, right? I am ready. I've been ready. I've been really excited today. Okay. To be honest with you. Well, Hey, let's get back into it. We're talking about 1989's Ghostbusters two, which is infamously known as, I don't know, killing the franchise in the eighties. So when this, when this thing came out, like you said, and we'll go through the details here. I mean, it, it made a little money. Critics weren't too excited about it. Uh, I, I think it didn't, um, I don't know, be the the cultural iconic film in 1989 that everybody expected. And and in fact, uh, the Ghostbusters franchise just kind of stopped there from a movie-making experience. Everybody kind of walked away from it. And yeah, for 27 years? Yeah, and I mean, we. I, I want to say in spirit, we kind of had a sequel in the video game that came out. Was it on PlayStation three or something? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. And then we had the real ghostbusters, which is a big part of my life. Cause my son is really big into the cartoon. So we did right. have that in the nineties as well. So I mean, I feel like ghostbusters has always been around, but we only had two mainline movies. And then that third, the spinoff, and Afterlife is actually coming out this month. So it, it's kind of timing with these shows is always kind of funny because I was telling you 
last week, Brazil comes out and it was Jonathan Price's birthday. And we're doing this one and Afterlife is getting ready to come out soon too. So we always seem to kind of hit on these special times. Yeah. And Afterlife is one of those that keeps getting pushed back. I know they've released some snippets now. Um, and I, I really don't, I, I think the release date is now November, right? So it got oh, pushed back. It? Okay. Yeah. I got pushed back to the end of the year, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, um, it, it's been a tricky franchise. It, it, I mean, it blows my mind that Ghostbusters since what, 1984 to now has had three release films, one getting ready to release at the end of the year, but something like Fast and the Furious. I mean, they're up to, they're up to number nine, which is crazy to me. Yeah, they make a billion dollars worldwide. It's yeah. the the international market. Well, I mean, let's talk about the box office on this one. So the whole idea of this concept is we talk about films that sort of failed at the box office or critically didn't get any love. How did how this one do at the box office? So this one needs a little bit of context. So a budget of $40 million reportedly makes $215 million, which people are going to say, well, hey, that is not that a, bomb. a lot of money. <laughs> Technically, the studio was not pleased with that. Um, if you look back on the first film, um, it had a budget of $25 million. It made almost $300 million. Um, so when a, when a studio greenlights a sequel, they hope to outgross the first film, which is why uh, you kind of uh, do it. A, because, you know, you've got the concept, you've got the characters, so let's just roll them into a new one, uh, all new adventure, let's just make it happen. That does not happen here. Studio not happy with the return on their investments. Critically, this is where the big discrepancy happens. Ghostbusters, the original, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 88% on with the audience score. I think an 88 audience score is way too low. Um, I think it's a bona fide. I mean, it is it is one of the few films that I I can't, I don't know. It is weird to me if somebody were to come up to me and go, you know, I really didn't really like that first Ghostbusters. Like, I, I, I don't understand that person. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about with Big Trouble, like perfect films. Yeah. Ghostbusters is maybe on that list or right outside that list. And I judge people by whether or not they know lines from the original Ghostbusters. We sound very shallow when we make broad statements like that, but I know we're shallow people though. (laughs) So this is important. (laughs) Like I said last week, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster for a living. Um, Sadly, that didn't work out for me, but um, so I take it very serious in 1989. When Ghostbusters two comes out, the critics did not like it very much. They gave it a 53%. And the audience scores a 61. So technically, it is a rotten film on your Rotten Tomatoes. Critics really didn't like uh, the lack of charm and the energy and the wit. Alleged. Alleged Allegedly. lack of charm. So we're, we're going to get into that. Um, now, like I said before, when we were talking about films that released in June of 1989, I said that... Ghostbusters 2 was the second film I ever saw in the theater. I will say that Batman 1989 was the first film I ever saw in the theater. Wow. And that actually came out came later. Out a week after, but I didn't see Ghostbusters 2 until after I saw Batman. I think 
my parents wanted to make sure I could sit through a movie. And then, so they just said, Hey, let's try Batman first. But <laughs> I, you know, it was Batman. So listen to these movies because, you know, this is right in my wheelhouse of like when I'm young and ready for movies, except for some of these first ones, but we have the movie Warlock. Okay. Dead Poets Society. Right. Robin Williams. Uh, Star Trek five, the final frontier. A bit, bit of a Turkey. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time. Spike Lee's do the right thing. Okay. Uh, I said, Batman, honey, I shrunk the kids, which I've seen no less than 500 times. Huge Rick Moranis vehicle. Yes. So Rick Moranis had a good June of 1989. He had a good year. And, uh, karate kid part three comes out at the end of June. Wow. So, Oh, and then great balls of fire as well. Ah, so Dennis seen, Quaid. Yeah. I've seen everything except great balls of fire. You know, one thing to keep in context about 1989, and I didn't realize this until I was reading articles and doing some research we take for granted today. And I mean, we were just talking about it. We're on fast and furious nine. Um, we may, after we talk about ghostbusters, talk about a, another horror franchise that's had a lot of sequels to it and spinoffs, et cetera, you know, but take something like insidious or the conjuring. I mean, sequels are just a part of our life anymore. I mean, you've got the whole Marvel universe. How many Harry Potter movies are there? You've got nine star Wars films plus spinoff films. But if, if you go back and you look at late, 80s, uh, and especially the 80s, sequels were just not a big thing until this year, specifically 1989. So film sequels leading up to that were kind of rare, but the concept of media franchise had quickly developed because of movies like the Star Wars trilogy. And I found this fascinating. In 1989, more sequels were released than in any previous year. So in 89, you've got um, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, the Karate Kid Part Three, which you talked about, Star Trek Five, um, Lethal Weapon Two. So, oh, okay. yeah. yeah, there there were for for Hollywood, they're just starting to tap into this whole sequelitis thing. And today, we just, I mean, how many films get released that aren't a part of a particular multiverse franchise sequel? I mean, it, it's pretty rare. But if you think about the landscape back in the late 1980s, especially you know '89. Uh, 89 was a big deal because of the amount of sequels that we were getting. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about risk. I mean, studios measure risk and how risk averse they are. If they have something that was successful one time, you automatically have a built in audience. You can say, okay, let's roll this back. Let's do it again. We know X number of people will probably go see this opening weekend. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of how the model is based now. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and Ghostbusters too, just the numbers you said, I mean, they may not have been happy financially with continuing of the franchise, but if you spend $40 million and you're making over, what, $200 million plus, I mean, almost $300, that, that's still a pretty good investment. Although yeah. I think the story goes that in order to keep that budget down because of who they were bringing in front of the camera, uh, those actors kind of negotiated sort of a big contract and took points on the end of it. So points basically mean that you're going to sort of forego your salary and then end up taking a percentage of the profit. So while, you know, the studio was uh, disappointed, they're probably even a little bit more disappointed because they had to give some of that profit to the actors. Yeah. 
Well, let, let's talk about the people that sort of made the film and then showed up in front of the camera. We've talked about a lot of these folks already, but let's start with the director, Ivan Reitman. He has um, a lot of directing credits, but he's also known as, you know, sort of a, a big time Hollywood producer, especially in the 80s and 90s. He had 74 producing credits, and I thought this was kind of fascinating. In the late 70s, he had produced, you know, movies for David Cronenberg like Shivers and Rabid. And he sort of started um, a very successful, you know, string of producing credits with Animal House in 1978, and then even produced some of the films we're going to talk about with him as a director. Uh, his first directorial debut is 1971 with Foxy Lady, does other smaller projects like Cannibal Girls in 1973. But it was sort of the this one film in the late 70s going into the early 80s, all of a sudden Ivan Reitman became um, known as, you know, sort of a big time comedic Hollywood director. But it was 1979's Meatballs with Bill Murray that was very successful. Follows that up with Stripes in 81, also with Bill Murray. Does Ghostbusters in 1984 with Bill Murray. So you're seeing a trend here. And in between the first Ghostbusters and the second one, he does two films, Legal Eagles with Robert Redford, which is sort of a comedy drama thriller, and Twins in 1988. Twins. Yeah. And so follows Twins up with Ghostbusters 2. Then after Ghostbusters 2, goes on to Kindergarten Cop. And, and he's had, you know, he continues to direct after that. The writers on the film, we bring back the original writers, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. So we got the same people doing the screenplay and the story. And lots of cocaine. Don't forget the cocaine. <laughs> That's the, Allegedly. Have you seen the documentary on the first film? They literally went to a cabin for like two days and did a bunch of coke and wrote Ghostbusters. Well, you can't sh- you can't put like written by Dan Aykroyd and cocaine. Yeah. That's oh. just not good publicity. It's implied. It's okay, implied. it's implied. So I mean, Industrial Light and Magic did the special effects behind the scenes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. As far as in front of the camera, I mean Brad pick another ensemble cast that's as better as what's in front of the camera for the first Ghostbusters in this one. Can't do it. That's where the magic that's, is. Yeah. I was going to say that's where the magic happens in Ghostbusters is that cast and just how on point they are and how much chemistry they have. It is, it's something that just makes that movie special. And like to compare it to this 2016 film, like I like all those actors individually and you're like, oh, you put these people together, it's going to be magic. And it just doesn't work. You know, some people just don't do well together. A, that story wasn't great anyway. But, you know, you would think, oh, those people will just have chemistry and they'll just get by on that. But it it, it didn't work. And part of being a Ghostbuster is those four guys plus the, you know, the tertiary characters and Sigourney Weaver and everybody. It's just it's a special cast at a special time that, you know, I, I kind of alluded to that documentary, but it's a miracle that Ghostbusters even came to be like existing period. Cause yeah. it was like literally going to shut down like every day. Um, and it beat the odds. And not only did it beat the odds, but it became one of the most special eighties movies ever. And, you know, movies to talk about now, you know, it's kind of a work of like, miracles that that movie even exists yeah absolutely i mean we've we've talked about bill murray before because you know we discussed his film quick change which was um a film that one of our listeners recommended and i I really enjoyed you know uh revisiting that one but about the time ghostbusters came out he had just done scrooge now keep in mind bill murray 
even before Scrooge, sort of left acting for about you know three four years. He'd done a couple of bit parts, but he he just wasn't in front of the screen. Um, leading into Ghostbusters two, he did Scrooge in eighty eight. He did Ghostbusters two, and then the next year he did the film that we've already talked about, which is Quick Change, which he also co directed. Dan Ack- and then he goes into the nineties and just blows up in the nineties. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Aykroyd as uh, Ray Stance. Now Dan Aykroyd, I, I think super amazing, gifted actor, writer. But if you're looking at the stuff that he was doing in the late 80s, going to the early 90s, he was a bit of box office poison. So in 1988, he he actually does like four movies, The Couch Trip, The Great Outdoors, Caddyshack. A lot of Great great Outdoors. Yeah, Great Outdoors is a fun film, but I can't can't necessarily say it's a good film. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's fun, right? It's a John Candy film. It is. Caddyshack 2 in 1988, which is... (laughs) That's probably a bomb that we're not going to talk about because no. it's a bomb. Uh, my stepmother is an alien in 1988. So th- this is the stuff that he's doing. It's not making a lot of money. Does Ghostbusters 2. And what's funny, the same year that Ghostbusters 2 comes out, he's also in Driving Miss Daisy. And then follows that up in 1990, going into 90s with Loose Cannons, a film he did with Gene Hackman, which is absolutely terrible. Like, I love bad films. I get excited <laughs> about bad movies. And Loose Cannons, I remember being so terrible. And and just recently, I, I'm like, you know what? I, I remember this Dan Aykroyd. It's a Bob Clark film, isn't it? Yeah. And and I oh, think wow. we were going through Bob Clark filmography at one point. I'm like, I might revisit Loose Cannons again. I watched the trailer. I'm like, no, no way. I remember is, is there that like one's a, terrible. I might be thinking of a different movie, but is there a Hitler plot line in that movie? I, what? I don't remember that. Could be. It was terrible. It, I, it literally, I remember seeing it in the theater and um, I just, I really wanted to bang my head on the theater seat until I fell unconscious and had to skip the film. It was, it was I, terrible. I'm going to look it up because I'm going to go crazy. Okay. We get Harold. about a hard-nosed cop who teams up with a detective with multi-personality disorder to uncover a long-lost Nazi sex tape featuring Adolf Hitler. Oh, there you go. That premise sounds, folks, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> that premise sounds amazing. It is not. It's Gene Hackman being, you know, grizzly Gene Hackman, late 80s Gene Hackman, and Dan Aykroyd trying to pull off comedy through multiple personalities, and it, it just doesn't work at all. I'm just, fair warning, folks. Um, we get Harold Ramis as Egon, Ernie Hudson, Winston, Sigourney Weaver. Now, Sigourney Weaver, leading up to this point, has been doing Gorillas in the Mist, Working Girl, um, ends up doing, you know, Ghostbusters 2, follows that up with Alien 3. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis was having a lot of success uh, going into the late 80s. He was he just did Spaceballs in 87, um, Ghostbusters 2 in 89, and then obviously Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then to round out the cast, we get Annie Potts, Peter McNichol, and oh. Wilhelm von Homburg as Vigo. But the voice of Vigo is none other than Max von Sidow. Yep. So before we talk about our thoughts um, and what we think about the film, this one sat in development hell for a little bit or development purgatory. So there was a Columbia Pictures chairman, David Putnam, and he becomes chairman in June of 1986. And so the studio is starting to change course and direction about this time. And so David comes in and says, I am not interested in Ghostbusters, a Ghostbusters sequel, even though it made all this kind of money. 
he wanted to make smaller films for sort of the world market. He was very much into auteur type um, films and Ghostbusters was part of a previous executive's legacy. He had no interest in furthering that legacy and he was sort of chasing after the Oscars, the world accolades, everything of that nature. So he wanted smaller budget films. He he was, I, I would say, very public about um, the agents and the salaries and um, you know the stars and their salaries and everything else. He really just wanted to just you know get probably unknown actors, put them in good quality films, and uh, go after the international market. So that was part of the issue in trying to get Ghostbusters made, you know, because usually if a, if a movie does so well and it's a huge hit, you're trying to get that thing into sequel as fast as possible. We're talking five years later, right? Yeah. We don't want people to forget. Yeah. Now, Reitman comes back and says that the delay in development wasn't totally Putman's fault and that the executives above Putnam at um, Columbia's New York branch had attempted to work around him because they thought he was holding up the project. But they discovered they could not get the production moving, even if they were sidelining this new executive. So according to Reitman, one of the biggest delays occurred because the main actors did not want to make a sequel for nearly three years. So you had a studio executive who was not interested in doing this whatsoever. And then for the last three years, nobody in front of the camera and even, you know, your two screenplay, they, they really wanted Ghostbusters to be one and done, never touch it again. So, um, by the time they decided to go ahead, Murray was committed to starring in his role in Scrooge in 1988. And then when he finally was available, the script wasn't ready. And uh, co-creators Reitman, Murray, Aykroyd, Ramis all had control over the franchise and their unanimous approval was required to proceed. So because uh, you had so many people who had to green light this thing, not only did you have to have the actors in place, but everybody had to come to the table and say, yep, I like you know, what we're going to do, like the story, like everything that's going on behind the scenes. But the studio also had some other concerns, and we kind of hinted at this a little bit. Um, you had Bill Murray, who'd been away from films for a little bit, so four years, and then he comes out with Scrooge. And keep in mind, Scrooge isn't out yet, so he didn't know if Bill Murray, you know, had a draw anymore. And then Dan Aykroyd, I mean, he he's just on a string of failures. All of those films were not making any money. Um, but you know what? They get everybody in a room, the magic happens again, and they're like, yeah, let's go make Ghostbusters 2. So they go make Ghostbusters 2. So they get over the first hurdle. The second hurdle comes after they make post, you know, they they make Ghostbusters 2 and they go into post-production and they do the the uh test screenings. So we hear about this all the time. Studio brings people in, they say, We want to show you this product, we want your opinion. And um, all of a sudden, everybody finds out after the first cut, there's a bunch of problems with the film. So the Mainly the last 25 minutes, correct? Yep, it's 25 minutes. Uh, Reitman says it, it just kind of dies a horrible death from a story perspective, those last 25 minutes. Um, the other criticisms that kind of came out was that Vigo, the, the main villain, didn't present a real challenge and the victory was too easy. The audiences didn't understand this concept that the slime could be manipulated by positive or negative emotions that got lost on them. Um, there were a bunch of subplots in the film. Did they, did they not see the toaster? I don't, I don't know if that was in the original cut. Okay. Uh, there were, there were a bunch of different subplots. There, the, uh, the whole sequence where Ray gets taken over by Vigo spirit, apparently, 
um, that got dropped altogether. So it only kind of shows up in the end, but it sort of happens during the middle of the film. And a uh, previous cut apparently focused a little too much on Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver's character. So that was a big chunk of it. And they had to trim that down because they thought that that was just overshadowing, you know, the Ghostbusters in general. Yeah. I agree um, with that. I agree with that. I mean, I like their chemistry, but I'm, this is a Ghostbusters movie, not when Harry met Sally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when they get the comments back, they decide they got to do reshoots. Now, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Reshoots are part of the process. You, you go, you do your principal photography, you put it together, you put special effects, you do the editing, whatever you need to do. You show it to a few people. There's always going to be a reshoot. Very rarely are you happy with the first draft, right? Um, so they do a bunch of extensive reshoots, but they're doing them all the way up until April 1989. So keep in mind, they're trying to get this thing out for a summer release. And the other June. thing, yeah, the other thing they're worried about, because I, I think originally it was supposed to come out in July. Then they tried to push it back to June. Then all of a sudden it landed on the same day as Batman 1989. So they said, we got to push it up a week earlier. But um, yeah, they, they were out there filming additional scenes up till April 1989, then had to turn around and do special effects, everything else. And there's even stories with Industrial Light and Magic saying at one point they had to tell, you know, the directors and, and the filmmakers, you the creatures that we're designing, we can't do any more changes. You got to stop right here. We're not going to make the deadline. So tons of changes going on behind the scenes. Here's another thing I kind of thought was interesting, and this came out this year. So Bill Murray uh, started talking about Ghostbusters 2. Some questions came up. So I want to read some stuff that I found from IndieWire. This came out April 5th of 2021. So this is Bill Murray on Ghostbusters 2. So he says, I thought the only reason anyone would want another one was just to make money, Murray said. And I was probably the most reluctant. Someone outfoxed me anyway. I don't know if Ivan set it up, but they got us all back together in a room. And really, we hadn't been together in a room since the movie came out. And it was just really, really fun to be together. We were really funny together. Those are some really wonderful, really funny guys and girls. Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts are some really spectacular women and funny as hell. They got us all together and they pitched a story idea that was really great. I thought, holy cow, we can make this work. Murray agreed to star in Ghostbusters 2 based on the pitch, but that pitch never material, materialized into what would become the sequel screenplay. As the comedian explained, it ended up not being the story they wrote. They got us in the sequel under false pretenses. Harold had this great idea, but by the time we got to shooting it, I showed up on set and went, what the hell is this? What is this thing? But we were already shooting it, so we had to figure out how to make it work. Despite joining Ghostbusters 2 under false pretenses, Murray said the experience remained memorable for reuniting with his co-stars, but Murray believes the sequel pales in comparison to the original. As he said, I probably like the first one better than the second one just because the first cut is the deepest. So that's Murray's thoughts on it, you know, X amount of years later. Um, and he, he's kind of ragging on it a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I mean, he still had fun I making have a it. Problem but... with, I, I always have a problem when actors make fun of the movies they were in. Why is they're just like a small piece of oh, the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. And it's like, there's people who are away from their families working on stuff and, and they're not making millions of dollars. They're some grip is not making <laughs> that much money. And he's away from his family trying to just make a living. And then he has to read an article later about how you hate the movie. And he's like, Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Well, no, now if they go back and criticize loose cannons, I'm with them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm okay with that one. But yeah, Ghostbusters 2, at the end of the day, 
actors, directors, they're, they're always going to go back and look at their work, right? And I'm okay with them being critical of it. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I do like somebody's perspective to go back and look at that and say, oh, I did that one because it paid for this house or, you know. Yeah, I, that, that I could get, yeah. but hey, I needed a new roof, but, or I wanted a swimming pool, but to say, oh, that movie was crap and this and that. You can always say it a little bit more delicately, like it didn't come together like I wanted to, but we worked hard, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. I just, when you just see like the number of people that make a movie and five people who are the face of the movie say stuff about it, it just bothers me. Yeah. Well, I I thought it was a little bit different. I I do want to start before we get into sort of thoughts on the film. I went back and, and looked at all of the reviews and tried to pick out the things that people just didn't like about the second one. So you can, I'm going to, I'm going to read some things. I tried to categorize these into just buckets, right? And, and you tell me if this pretty much sums up uh, the research that you did as well. So when you talk about negative responses from film goers or even the critics, one of the things that comes up is the script slash story. So what you hear is the film is tired and lacking surprises the sequel had turned the franchise, this is a quote, the sequel turned the franchise into four Ghostbusters and a baby. So <laughs> they, they didn't like that. Um, an, another, like- another negative comment about the script or story is that the movie too closely emulates the structure and story elements of its predecessor, and it has a shamelessly similar ending. So that's, that's sort of the criticism that's thrown that yes. way. Because I, I, I had mentioned that to you, and you questioned when I said it's a rehash. And I didn't know if you didn't agree or like what you were. Well, we'll talk about it. I, I, okay. I kind of want to, I want to summarize why people don't like this Okay. because uh, let's be honest, there's still a ton of people out there that just don't think Ghostbusters two is really good. I, my job today is to convince you otherwise. So, and I'm right there with you. Okay. We're in Ecto one together. All right. So script and story, th- those are the big main, I don't know, targets that they paint on this film's back. We get to visuals and I, I see a lot of comments about they're not as impressive or not as many special effects or ghost effects as the first one. Um, editing. A lot of people will come back and say it's poorly paced. It's overlong. It's too long. And you could just trim the fat out of it, right? When it comes to performances, this is interesting. It lacks the energy of the first film, and it's too laid back. It's not as kinetic or, or frantic. Uh, the movie is too self-important and mediocre. Murray, Now, Murray's performance, this was always interesting because you half of the critics really liked him. The other half was just ready to throw him under the bus. So what you would hear from, I guess, the, the ones who just weren't impressed with it was that Murray's performance was less energetic. There's a comedic indifference seemed to be lacking commitment. And there was a smug swagger and constant smirking versus an, an actual genuinely, you know, funny performance. That's his character. My God, that's yeah. his character. Now, He's a smug uni- universally, it doesn't matter what, I don't know, newspaper you picked up or you went online. I mean... Even people who don't like this film, there's one thing they do like, or actually two things. So McNichol and Moranis are always praised. So they're, they're, any review, even the negative ones, you'll always hear somebody say, yeah, blah, 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 this stunk, didn't like this, da, 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 didn't, you know, Ghostbusters and a baby, whatever. 
However, Rick Marinus is absolutely hilarious, and uh, McNichol just is a scene stealer. Peter McNichol is amazing in this movie. Yeah. It is so good. So but before we get into that, because I'm, I'm going to try and tackle this in those categories. So we'll, we'll talk about the script and story. We'll talk about the performances and the visuals. But let's just start with our, our general thoughts on the film. So you revisited this thing. Did, did you watch it with Max again? No, I, he doesn't, he hasn't seen the original. Okay. Like, like he's seen the original Ghostbusters, but he likes the, the real Ghostbusters cartoon is his jam right now. So makes sense. um, But I did, I did watch the original and then watch this one and then kind of remembered that I saw the 2016. It was like, I I love you, Troy, but I'm not doing that again. Um, (laughs) But because one of the knocks on this film is obviously that it is just, the first one redone again. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make that comparison, I wanted to obviously have that fresh in my mind, but I literally can play Ghostbusters, the first one in my mind from start to finish and not miss a beat. I, I will say the best thing about Ghostbusters 2 is that you get to hang out with all those people again and it makes it worth it. It is, I just want to be with those people. You know, it's like, you, it's like going on vacation and it just rains the whole time, but you're still hanging out with all your friends and it's still yeah. a fun time, regardless of what you're doing. That's this movie. Like, I don't care what they're doing. Bill Murray is still going to be super funny in this movie. And that's the thing I kind of gravitated more towards this time is just how funny he is with kind of not even trying. Like when he says, yeah, and you wouldn't want us to expose ourselves like, I'm sorry. That's just really funny to me. And I, his delivery is perfect. He's perfect in this movie. Um, Moranis, all the guys are just so good that I really don't care what they're doing or what their adventure is, or if I've seen that adventure before, I just want to be with these guys. And I want to see Sigourney Weaver and Peter McNichol is like a great addition. Like he's a ludicrous character (laughs) that is so turned up that I don't know what he was doing. He he could not have been hungry after shooting this film because he ate every scene <laughs> that he was in. But um, it's just a fun movie, and I don't understand how anyone could sit through an hour and 45 minutes of Ghostbusters 2 and say, I did not have fun. I, I agree with you. I, that is a perfect summation. My note, and I, I think we were talking about this a little bit, and I have a question about your viewing experience, but I just watched this on its own. Now I did the opposite. You watched the first one and then turn around and watch the second one. I had seen the first one not too long ago. It was, it was something that I just wanted to watch again. So I put it in. It's one of, it's one of those go-to movies, yes, right? Yes, exactly. But what's funny is every time I watch the first one, I desperately want to turn around and watch the second one. So I, I do want to get your thoughts here in a minute, but I, I did the opposite. I watched this one and then I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to go back and revisit that 2016 one. I don't remember if I liked it or not. I, I don't think I liked it, but I didn't remember anything about it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But how you said it, I, I think this is the equivalent for me of comfy pajamas or your favorite snack. That's That's what this film is. I just enjoy like you being in this film universe with these people. I think it's fun. It's, it's the pure definition of a good movie. It's not amazing. It's not terrible. It's just a really, really good, fun movie. And, and I think 
It hits all the beats. I'm constantly smiling through the whole thing. I miss comedies that um, the humor goes back and forth between like big, broad, I don't know, energetic sight gags to this sort of smug, sarcastic, you got to listen, you got to pay attention. And this film sort of just runs all of the ranges of every type of comedic style. Yeah, you have Moranis and Peter McNichol like acting crazy. And then Murray's like on this low level comedic high and, you know, Aykroyd's doing some stuff and Ramus is doing some stuff. They're all like doing their thing. And it's just this hodgepodge of like comedy styles. Yeah. And, and neither one of them is, I, I I'm trying to articulate this correctly because it was super obvious when I watched the new film, the 2016 I'm with you. I, I like most of those actresses. Um, but the problem is in between the special effects, I felt like they were trying to have this one upsmanship in terms of comedic moments and they weren't necessarily playing off of each other. They were trying to say, well, here's my take on sort of an eccentric comedic bit for this particular character. Yeah. Whereas, I think the script in that movie is really weak. Yes. And I think that was one of those movies where they let the camera roll and just let them go and see what they had and then tried to make a movie out of that. Yeah. And I, I actually think there's a really good script here. Um, I, I think Ramis and Aykroyd did a good job in terms of, Hey, let's, ha- let's have a good foundation and we'll have some comedy that's written in there, but everybody's playing to their comedic style and they're working off of each other. And it's very complimentary. So you never feel that, um, you know, Rick Moranis is just being Rick Moranis. Peter McNichol is just being him for that character. Uh, Bill Murray is being Bill Murray, Harold Raymond. I mean, even Sigourney Weaver is trying to play the, the straight person within, you know, the context of how the scene is playing out, but they play so well off of each other that it's a very complimentary style. I think with an ensemble course like this, what makes it the golden ensemble is all of them are, are sort of giving in the scene and not one person is just trying to take it away from another person. And they let Ernie Hudson do stuff in this movie too, which is also nice. Yeah, absolutely. But let, let's get into this. I mean, if, if we're going to talk about script, story, performances, visuals, I mean, we've heard the naysayers about, wow, the script is stupid. It's just a copy, et cetera. Um, let's, let's tackle this thing. Let's, let's debate the internet okay. or debate all the, the people that are wrong. And, um, let's, let's start kind of bullet point one script and story. Now, now we heard their argument in their case. Um, let's analyze this. Do, do we think that the script isn't very good or the story's not very good or, or it's just sort of a copy and paste of the first one? I think it's pretty close to the first one. I, I think it's good, but I definitely think they took an idea in, kind of reformatted it a little bit to, to do something different, but follows the same beats. I agree. It's, it's the first movie's story arc. However, I would contend that Aykroyd and Ramus were smart to concentrate more on some of the relationships versus just the plot. So while it maintains the same story arc and maybe the same beats there's definitely no denying that the ending very much is is deja vu territory especially in the last 20 minutes right yes but i 
I, I don't deny that. However, I think the magic of this film in terms of a script, because it's the dialogue, it's the character arc, it's the relationship, not just the plot. I'll give you the plot is the same. Okay. But Aykroyd and Ramis were very smart to say, we can copy the plot, but we got to do more with these characters and their story arc and especially their relationships. I also would contend that there are interesting concepts in the script like the idea that negativity fuels the spirits and it all takes place in a city that's known for its harsh personalities. I like that setup. Yeah, there's a lot of, I remember watching Quick Change and that was a big sort of kind of expose on the the big city in, yeah. in New York and how they are fed up with the city and all this stuff. And there's parts in, in Ghostbusters 2 that feel a lot similar and they feed into that with the the slime. It's a river of slime. Okay, there it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a cool concept. I mean, I, I like also that the characters are dealing with government, parenthood, you know, cynicism of the city. I, I feel. I, I, I will say one of the things with the script is they do have to exposit a lot of detail to connect Vigo with the slime. Right. They have to do a lot of walking. The audience through that and essentially have to have the characters come out and show like look it ends right at the museum where Vigo is so I mean that's the only kind of like clunky part to the script I think is is connecting the slime to Vigo yeah well you've you've got a cool concept with that whole the city's negativity and cynicism is feeding into the slime and you're right, it's clunky how you draw that to the Carpathian ghost that's in this painting, but it still works. You get there. I can truly see where they may have shown this to an audience, and the audience was like, hey, I didn't get that aspect of the slime. Where is this going? And they had to go back and retool that section to draw it and paint a more clear picture. But you know, this movie starts out right at, it's just five years later. That's how it starts. You're thrown right into it. And, and everyone has forgotten the Ghostbusters. Yeah, and and I like the fact that you get a few more grown-up topics in this, you know, especially the old parenthood thing. Um, you get the feeling, I, I do at least, in the first 30 minutes, the characters kind of grew up a little, um, mostly. I, I like that Bill Murray's character kind of moved the dial just slightly, but it isn't um, until the introduction of Sigourney Weaver and Oscar that you start to see it really moving. And, you know, he has a really great character progression in the film. Um, the The climax is is meh. I mean, it, it is a sort of a carbon copy of the first film. I did like the Statue of Liberty gimmick. Um, but, you know, Vigo possessing Ray out of the picture. They shoot the picture. It goes out more with the fizzle than a bang yeah. like the first one. But again, uh, at that point, I'm just happy. Like you said, the characters are together. I saw some character growth. Um, while the plot hits the same beats, I still think there's enough uh, differentiating factors within this film uh, to make it feel fresh. I, it is funny. Like five years have passed, and like Sigourney Weaver has had a life between yeah. these two movies. It is. She breaks up with Bill Murray. She loses, she lo- takes a different job. I mean, okay. So to be like a professional, I forget what she's a bass, stand up bass, right? Yes. And, you know, she's in the orchestra, which is like something that she probably took her whole life to get to. Yeah. Gets there, decides, you know what? Nah, I'm going to go, you know, help at the museum and clean up art, which is another like fine motor skill that you have to, you know, 
get over a lifetime. She just does it. And then she's like, ah, I might go back to the orchestra. And I'm like, man, you're, she's doing all these things that take lots of practice and, and uh, just go popping back and forth. Like it's just nothing. But it's like, I'm going to play in the NFL and I'm also going to play major league baseball. <laughs> I might give hockey a try too. Well, Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver is that good. Yes, she can do it all. I would, I would agree. I, yeah. But I, I like the fact that where they, start these characters five years later it makes total sense for the for where these characters end up i mean ray is running an occult bookstore and then doing <laughs> ghost you know dressing up as ghostbusters and going to kids parties parties <laughs> um e- egon is experimenting with you know the whole what does an environment do in terms of measuring you know the the biological functions or what where these characters pick up a five years later makes obvious choice based on what you know of the characters from the first film. Like it, it just feels yeah. like it's, it makes so much sense where the movie starts with each one of these folks. That's what I love about it. So I, I think it's safe to say that um, we've debunked that criticism and that anybody who says the script and story isn't good enough. They're, they're wrong, right? It, it is a copy. We, we do say that the plot is the same, but the script it has a it has the same story arc, but yes. the, it's it it is just as successful as the first one because they decide to focus on different elements. I I would say at at points it's more successful than the first one because I feel like the characters grow a lot more in the second film. Oh, I agree exactly. It's what makes it. Some might say it for that aspect. It's actually a better screenplay than the first one. Because yep. these, these people have lived in these characters' heads now as actors for that you know amount of time, five years, been playing around with it. What would they be doing now? So yeah, at that point, the case could be said that you know it, it might be better. Now we're we're here to just debunk these I don't know yeah. these negative naysayers on this film. So we'll we'll just we'll give a point for ourselves there. Um, let's talk about performances. Okay, McNichol, Moranis, scene stillers, they're fantastic. We yes. all agree there. Um, you know who else? Who else is fantastic, Brad? Who? Um, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Absolutely. Weaver, and yes. Annie Potts. Uh, yes. I, Annie Potts shines in this movie too, man. Yeah, Ernie Hudson. When, when Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, I, it, when she walks in on them making out, and she does this thing like with her lips, she's like cleaning off her lips. <laughs> yes. I'm like, man, that is so funny. So funny. That whole exchange. Um, I actually wrote this down. I had to go back and file. So Janine says it is a really very nice place. Needs a woman's touch. Lewis says Shh, bedtime. Cause you just put Oscar down. Right. And then Janine says, Oh, you're so great with kids. And Lewis is like, Oh, thanks. I practice with my hamster. <laughs> Janine says, so you live alone. <laughs> Lewis says I used to have a roommate, but my mom moved to Florida. I'm I'm crying during this whole exchange. Janine, why don't you come here and sit with me? And Lewis is like, okay, sits down, moves to the couch, right? And Lewis says, so you want to play Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? And then she's just on him. I, that whole exchange is just comedic gold. I, if, and then they watch Citizen Kane. Yeah, I love it. I, it's so funny. But yeah, they're all good. And Ernie Hudson, I still feel... He's a little left in the background. I, I really would have liked to seen more of him, but the fact that he's there, he has this exchange. Um, he still feels a part of the team. I, I like that. I just the only drawback I can see is that they did a lot with Rick Moranis and Annie Potts, and had some great scenes, you know, to 
don't know, build up that chemistry and, and sort of advance them. I would have liked a little bit more of that. Yeah, with, Winston um, deserves some too. Winston, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think all the performances are great. I, I mean, Bill Murray is absolutely hilarious. They're, they're all so good. Um, I, I think his dry, sarcastic wit, it feels more mature. Um, and he, he even has these moments with Oscar that are just charming. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's dad like joke funny. Seeing him, seeing him with Oscar is kind of why I love this film so much is because you get to see him grow as a character. Like all of a sudden he's thrust into fatherhood. And to be honest, like it's someone else's kid. He could like totally not care. And when he is like called to be responsible and to grow up, he does. And like, he's actually like a caring father figure to Oscar. That's it's really heartwarming. It is. Um, even it's like charming. when he gives him the, the jet sweatshirt and he's like, you know, this was really important to me, but I'm giving it to you. Like that's like character growth. It, it is. And, but it's, he still has that comedic touch to it. Yes. So like when Sigourney Weaver's like, Hey, I, I need to put him down. And he's like, Oh, I'll take care of this. You're, you're short. <laughs> and he just starts insult. That's funny. I mean, that that's like dad joke funny. And yeah. I know you and I are big fans of dad joke. Yeah. So, um, no, he's, he's great. And I, I love that they found a great bad guy with Vigo and he's, he used Max's voice on him too. I think it's a great concept. I love the painting. Um, I think for most of the film, he's super scary and intimidating. He just doesn't do that much at the end of the film, but leading up to that, I think he has a fantastic presence and, and it's a fantastic bad guy. Yeah, it is. I keep debating on whether or not I think it's a good idea to have him come alive at the end. But then it's like, well, then it's just a painting. So what are you going to do there? But I don't know. Like They're in like a weird situation with the fact that the painting is so cool and iconic and he's so intimidating and huge. But what do you do with a guy that's in a painting? You obviously have to bring him out into real life. And then that doesn't look as good. It's just, it's a catch 22 with me. Like I like it, but I, I don't know what they were supposed to do. Cause I, I just think there was a lose lose because there, there wasn't really anything you could do to make him that impressive just because he's so iconic in that pose um, in the painting. Well, especially with this head floating and the river slime behind him. Yeah. They, they it's do a river slime. Yeah. They, they do so many great things with his character leading up to the climax. It, it, the climax sort of undercuts his character because I do understand why a test audience would look at this and go, well, that really didn't feel like a big threat. Uh, but, you know, again, he still has an iconic, intimidating performance just based on look. And that look with Max von Sydow's voice is fantastic. I think people remember Vigo more than Gozer. I think they do, too. Well, you and I have gone to a lot of like the horror hound presentations and you, you always have the ghostbuster groups that show up, et cetera. They always have that painting out there and people yeah. love posing in front of that painting with a ghostbuster. That that's like yep. the best thing. So, um, I don't know right now. I think the internet can suck it because we've already proven that the script and story is a standout. And I don't know about you, Brad, but I think everybody's comments on the performances, if there's any wrong, negativity, they're just all wrong. Right. That's the thing. If you come away from this movie and you're like, the performances weren't any good, I'd be like, okay, I don't know what movie you watched. I'm not even having this conversation with you because we obviously watched two different movies. And that person has bad taste. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about visuals because that was another criticism that popped up. They didn't think that the visuals were as good, not as many impressive ghosts, etc. Um, I don't know about you. I I don't think the second film. Now I know they spent more money on it, but I I don't think the second film has the visual punch as the first one. I think the first Ghostbuster effects stand up really well. I mean, I mean, just think about the lady in the library right out of the beginning. Yes, the light, yep, yep. It, it's creepy as hell, but it's super fun. Um, and honestly, in this film, you don't really get to see a proper ghost until about 30 minutes in the film. So in the first movie, you start with the lady in the library. This one starts with, you know, slime. And yeah. you see supernatural things happening, but it isn't until the courtroom scene the Sclary brothers. Yeah, that you actually see a ghost doing sort of ghost thing. And again, I would I would commend the film for that because I think they're establishing the character arcs, the story, and the relationships in the beginning, so that you're along for the ride. You know, the last hour and a half. Uh, but I, I got to say it. I I still think this film has some great ghosts that are done by industrial light and magic. The river of slime. Before we talk about the ghost itself, I mean the river of slime is is freaking cool. I think it's a river of slime. <laughs> Sorry, you just you have a button and you put that yeah. on loop. Um, but yeah, they they do a lot of cool stuff with the slime in general. I think yeah. it's, I think it's kind of spooky. I mean, someone may or may not try to be having sex with it either. <laughs> <laughs> that, How does that again, that? That was hilarious. They, he didn't. He sli- He was sleeping with it, not poking it. Oh, yeah. Your mind goes in the gutter automatically. You know, I mean, Raymond, Stan- Raymond Stant's got that BJ from the ghost in the first one, so he might have like that connection with extraterrestrial stuff. Oh, that's true. He might have he might have tapped into something now. Yeah, that's um, the only way he can shoot is you know, <laughs> with, with a ghost. Um, yeah the the Vigo painting effects are awesome. I love how his face kind of comes out. It's sort of in the background. The eyes that held up really well. Really when well. I, saw, I was like, oh wow, that. Does it look terrible? Um, remember when they redid the Freddy shots in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street where he comes out of the wall? Yeah. And pr- when they did it practically in the old one, in the first one, and then they did it with CGI, the second one, the first one looks way better than the one they did in CGI. And I feel like, you know, obviously some of these are, you know, CGI stuff, but a lot of it's practical and it just holds up so much better. I agree. It just I agree looks 100%. so much better. Um, you already mentioned that the, the Scolari brothers, what, what did you think of them as sort of your first ghosts? Five years later, the, the technology changes everything else. You get the Scolari brothers in the courtroom. I mean, I, I like it. And when they pick up the woman and carry her like, and or like, she's obviously terrified and I think they look really cool. I like that. There's both, you know, they're in the electric chair and stuff. Cause he, you know, the judge sent him to, be electrocuted and that's you know obviously where their ghosts were so i really like it i i think the sclery brothers um you know are 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 nice and like it's you know the court scene is one of my favorite because rick moranis as the lawyer is is pretty awesome yeah i like the sclery brothers a lot uh i will say if you did you did you pause any of the scenes to kind of look at the details of the creature design or anything i did not The sclery brothers is really cool to look at so if you go back and watch it, um, I, I don't have the 4K of this or anything, so I just watched it on Blu-ray. I think, what? I, yeah, I know, I'm slacking, but it, it was fun to go back uh, for that courtroom scene, A, because it's funny just to watch. It's one of my favorite scenes of the film. 
but I love the Scolari brothers concept. I, I know it was based on the blues brothers. So you got the, the skinny, oh, the skinny sort of one. One. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and it plays off really well. The other thing I like about it is there's a little bit of a cartoon feel to it. You can kind of see within the makeup design and everything. I, I think it's an awesome creature design and, um, it's, it's fun, scary. If that makes sense. When they pop out, you're, you know, the ghostbusters are back. It's a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. And they have that laugh that, you know, yeah. kind of insinuates that, Oh, they're ghosts, but they're not like those kind of ghosts. Yeah. I, the other ghost, this is so dumb. Why I like this, the, the central park jogger. <laughs> so he's, he's just running. He's taking his pulse. He's looking at his watch. He's running. Here's the thing. Well, this is the thing I kind of like about the Ghostbuster films, especially when you look at the Scolari brothers or the Central Park Jogger. Most like ghost films or haunted house films, it's always somebody from Victorian age, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like they died 100 years ago. I'm I'm always fascinated why we haven't seen people like from the 80s floating around and scaring people. It's always, well, somebody died like 100 years ago and now they're haunting us. But why isn't somebody who had some horrible accident jogging in Central Park? Yeah, yeah. Why, why are they not haunting? So I, I like that the ghosts that they have in here are sort of a mixed match of not more contemporary. Yeah, there, there's a little bit more contemporary feel to it. So I like that. Um, the Titanic just arrived. <laughs> yeah, you get a little nice cameo from what uh, Cheech Marin on that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you get the cinema ghost. I, I like the cinema ghost and the Washington Square ghost because it has a very Ray Harryhausen feel to it. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yep. it, it still looks really cool. The mink coat ghost was kind of fun or the mink coat comes alive. I thought, I thought that was kind of fun. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the ghosts are, when you take a step back and look at them, considering Vigo and, and the Titanic and everything else, it, it still has that, you know, kind of fun, scary feel to it. There's just no stay puff marshmallow, man. I think that's the thing people like gravitate to that yes. first one. It's so impressive. There's not that in the second one. No, I, yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't have that iconic image. Um, the statue of Liberty is cool. But it doesn't, I don't know, yeah. it just doesn't hit the heights of Stay Puffed. Um, I, I like the look of Possessed Ray, but you don't get to see it. I mean, it no. sort of happens, and it's really cool makeup and practical effects, but it's over just as quick as it happens. So yeah, I, I can see where somebody would look at this. Look, when you, when you start a film with the library lady, and then you go right into Ghostbusters, um, I can understand somebody looking at this film and going, where are my ghosts? All I saw was some slime, some supernatural stuff. I want my ghosts. However, I, I think overall this, this doesn't hit the heights of the first one, but it's still a lot of fun to watch from a visual effects perspective. Absolutely. There's no super high notes from the first one, but there's definitely no lows. Like there's not a low in this movie at all. I and agree. I don't, I don't get where people get off on, complaining about anything in this movie really i mean there there are some shortcomings but nothing i would say like ruins the movie at all yeah and i mean you even get some gruesome effects when you get the train sequence the so before the train happens they're standing in that tunnel oh, they have the heads on the pikes they got the heads on the pikes i mean that kind of makes me jump a little bit because every time i watch this film i always i'm waiting for the train but i always forget the heads forget, yeah. on the pikes so i i don't know i mean let's just say this uh, the internet or the or the naysayers almost won this third bullet point, but you know I I think we squeak by with saying the visuals are they're not up they're not up to the I don't know the heights of the first one, but they're still really good. Yeah, they're so good. 
All right, so that's three for three on our side, right? I, I think we win this argument that Ghostbusters. Oh yes. Okay. It's our podcast. We win the argument. Okay, perfect. Well, I so this was one of the questions I had for you. Um, so Ghostbusters two is a supernatural comedy, and I, I I know the answer to this, uh, just based on your reaction. But I mean, it is it still funny? Oh, absolutely. I that's one of the things that came across when I watched it this time was just how funny it was. It had been probably two years since I watched Ghostbusters two. Um, so, you know, just enough time to kind of forget some of the smaller jokes. And I laughed a lot watching this movie and some of it's just what people are doing, not what they're saying. And, you know, Peter McNichol and, and, uh, uh, Rick Moranis are just crushing it every time they're on screen. <laughs> and so is Bill Murray. Like though, those three like just make the price of admission worth it. They do. I, I, I like all of the interaction. I like all the chemistry that, that courtroom scene. I mean, Rick Moranis's opening statement is fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I just love all the little, well, just even the exchanges between Peter Venkman and Dana. I, I really like watching that relationship grow, but I like watching him being charming too. So just even these little throwaway lines when she says, um, okay, we'll have dinner, but you know, don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. It's different now. And his response is, oh, I, I have all new cheap moves. <laughs> I mean, it's a throwaway line, but it just shows he, that playfulness. He and, is a charming guy. Oh my God, like, he's awesome. He's charming. Like as much as, you know, his character is kind of a scumbag a little bit, like he's really charming. Like, I'd go out on a date with him, even if he treated me like he did, you know, the first movie, I would be like, sure. I'd go back on a date with you. Uh, I don't know. Well, look, if, if he had that personality and he looked like Henry Cavill, I'm in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we can agree to that, but no, I, I think it's still a funny film. Um, to, so when you watch the first one and watch the second one, does does it help the experience of the second one, or do you think you can enjoy this by just going back to revisit the second one on its own? Um, I mean, it's hard not to know who the Ghostbusters are. So, like, you know who the Ghostbusters are. So, not having any sort of backstory on them doesn't really hurt. Obviously, you get the picture that you know Dana and Bankman like had a relationship before, and you know so seeing the first one doesn't really hinder now it it probably isn't fair because i think that first one is near perfect and this one isn't um i wouldn't put it up in the same class as the first one it's still great but it's not in that class that the first one's in so that's the only thing is seeing them that close together just that first one and i don't i don't know if it's just how the characters are coming together and the charm that that first one has that the second one just, I don't know. I don't know what the second one is missing that makes it not significantly less enjoyable, but less enjoyable than the first one. And I, I, I can't pinpoint it, but I, there's I something. I don't know if it's significantly less enjoyable. I, I would not say that. I, I guess it comes down to this. So maybe significantly is a bit much, but it, there is a step down from the original a quality i would say from a quality perspective yes, yes but i still think it's just as entertaining like if oh. you're if you're talking if you're grading things um based on the categories we just talked about 
I would have no problem if somebody kind of said, okay, Ghostbusters is a 10 and Ghostbusters 2 is an 8 on a quality scale. I'd say yes, if you're yes. if you're creating some perfect. type of gap. I think, yes, I think the first one is a 10, this one is an 8. But if you're coming back and saying, okay, in terms of entertainment value, in terms of having fun with the film, if the first one's a 10, this one's a 10, in my opinion. I think it's just as fun. Yeah, yeah. But given a choice, I'm watching the first one all the time. I would agree with you. I just think it's weird because th- when we watched this a year ago that kind of started the podcast, it was Cameron and I sat down. We wanted to watch the first one. We watched the first one, and we were both like, we got to watch the second one. So we watched the second one right after that, and that's what started our exchange, and hence yeah. we have a podcast, right? And I really enjoyed watching these back-to-back, but I got to say, this time around, I wanted to make the active choice of just saying, well, I want to watch this on its own. I had seen the first one even once prior. So it was probably around Christmas. So I'm about six months removed from the last few, right? So when you put in the second one, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, is this, can I appreciate or have fun with the second one? And I didn't just watch the first one. And I did. I, and I can't say that for a lot of sequels. You know, I, it's like Empire Strikes Back. I'll go back and watch Empire Strikes Back any day of the week. And I don't have to watch Star Wars, et cetera. Yeah. And to me, that that makes a good sequel. And I think with Ghostbusters 2... Alien, Aliens is like that too. Yeah, absolutely. But with Ghostbusters 2, I can put Ghostbusters 2 in and kind of go, well, I'm going to watch this on its own and not feel like, ooh, I, I should have watched the first one. Now, granted, you're right. If you come into this blind, you got to watch one, then you got to watch two. But think about the people that have seen this film, I don't know how many times. Yeah, I, how many people don't know anything about the Ghostbusters that couldn't watch the second one and have some sort of idea of what's going on. Yeah. And I actually love the soundtrack to this. Yeah. The updated song is good with from DMC and the Bobby Brown song is really good too. I love the Bobby Brown song. Like between both soundtracks, Bobby Brown has the best song between both soundtracks. In my opinion, I, I like that song even more than the original Ray Parker Ghostbuster song. I mean, that one is probably the, the best song in the first album. I love the Bobby Brown one. The, the first on, one on our own on our own. Yeah. The, yeah. the first, you know, Ghostbuster song has a special place in my heart. Cause when I was growing up, my friend Kevin and I would do our own music videos to, to that song in the basement, jumping over the couch. And yeah, I mean, too bad we didn't have, you know, a GoPro or uh, I don't know any kind of filming activity. Cause then I could show that to the world. Right. And you know, I don't know, have a, have a job with Paula Abdul. Now if she's still working. Ooh. We were good. I'm just telling you, like a good DJ scat cat. I I would make a good yes, man. I missed my calling. Yes, you did. Um, well, I hey, and I did the opposite. I watched the 2016 version after this because I I wanted to stay in that Ghostbusters universe, and I remember the whole controversy when the 2016 came out, and everybody was like, "Wow, look at all these you know guys that live in their basements of their mom's house and they're trolling this film and." It's really a great film, and, and just white males are upset over white male stuff, I guess. Um, hey, look, if, if that 2016 version taught us anything, the franchise works when you have good writing and actors who play well off of each other, and it feels real and authentic, and I think you said this already, um, the, the 2016 version is just comedians doing comedy bits in between the special effects, but the first two Ghostbusters 
are actors who are bringing their characters to life and add a breath of authenticity. Yeah. The the 2016 plot isn't very good. I mean, there, there's not much to it. And if you want to talk about a um, last 20 minutes, that really kind of <laughs> craps the bed that 2016 dance. Now I, I made the mistake of watching the director's cut, which was an extra oh, so 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Never have I felt um, a two and a half hour movie feel like it was a six hour film except that one. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but even if you were to take out all of the bits where um, was it Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy, all of them were trying to put these, I don't know, jokes in there about, Oh, don't read the internet. You know uh, that one kid who runs up talking about, you know, Hey, in high school, you were this, that, or the other. And they start to make these, you know, go back to your mom's basement. I mean, they're really pushing that sort of social awareness of their film within the film. Yeah. And it, it doesn't work. It's not funny at all. But even if you were to remove that stuff out of it, you still have a very unfunny film with some very talented actresses that are just not, they're not in line with each other's Yeah, there's chemistry. just no chemistry. Like it's, yeah. you can put like, sometimes when, you know, like when super groups form up, like, oh, this bass player from this band and this guitarist from this band and this drummer from here. And like, they come together and it's like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. But like all these people are great musicians, but when they come together, like they suck. Chemistry plays a huge part. And I have no problem with female Ghostbusters. Like that is not my problem with that film. It is just doesn't work. It's just not it's just, funny. It's a bad film. And, yeah. And the story's not good, but I could, I could forgive the story if it was funny and the characters were like having a good time. But I even think like they don't even seem like they're really enjoying much at all. So no, I agree. I mean, it, it, it was, it was huge. I don't know. It was, it was such a big contrast to watch Ghostbusters two and then watch the 2016 and go, Oh, the, the magic is really in the casting and the, not just the casting in the script. Yeah. I mean, it, as much as Murray and Ramis, all of them are, are really good in Aykroyd and Weaver and Rick Moranis and all of them, it, it really comes down to Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis wrote a really good script and the 2016 did not have a good script. Yeah. And I think they like, it looks too overproduced as well. Like it looks too, like they spent like almost $150 million on that movie. Like that's not Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters is like a, it's a 30 to $40 million film. Like that's the Ghostbusters that I like that look. I don't like that sheen on it. I, I'll disagree with you on that, but I actually love the special effects of the 2016. Like what got me through the 2016 were the special effects. I thought some, some of the things in there were really cool. And, um, Chris Hemsworth, I mean, he's, yeah. he's pretty darn funny in it. Boxer dropper. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a Chris Evans guy, but, um, okay. I, I don't know if, if it weren't for the special effects and for Chris Hemsworth, I probably wouldn't have been able to get through another viewing of it. But I, I do enjoy the spectacle of it. I just don't think um, what little script is there, I don't think it works. And I don't think the chemistry there, it, it is really um, feels like people are just saying, hey, watch me be funny. Yeah. Whereas what I love about these first two Ghostbuster films, and, and it really comes through in the second one, is it's five years later. These people are growing. You're watching Bill Murray's growth within those two hours, it feels authentic. And, um, those feel like characters versus the 2016 one feels like comedians. Yeah, no, that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to put it. 
Well, what else? I mean, I, I, I feel like we've done a very successful job of talking to, you know, the critics or the folks that just have, uh, I don't know, slighted this, um, eighties, I don't want to say masterpiece, but you know, just really solid, good, entertaining film. I, I feel like we've debunked all of the negativity. We won. Yes, we absolutely won. In fact, uh, with this strong of a case, I I think it's only appropriate for everybody to go back who wrote a negative review, change your IMDb rating, um, you know, rewrite your critique of Ghostbusters 2 and make sure that, you know, you follow the bullet points we laid out, right? Have you seen the theory that this film is um, so close to the first one is because the Ghostbusters are dead and they're living in purgatory sort of like in a groundhog day sort of situation. Really? No, yeah. I haven't. So if you want to go down a rabbit hole, look, start looking up Ghostbusters Two. Ghostbusters are dead. And you will get a lot of stuff about how, you know, <clears throat> the explosion at the end killed them of the first one. And that's why like starting this film, no one remembers them and all this stuff is because they died. Um, it's a pretty interesting sort of theory you know, it, it kind of explains a lot, but, you know, I obviously don't believe it, but it is compelling. I will say that. Well, you know what? If I guess that would feel like purgatory if uh, some, I don't know, 10 year old kid wanted He-Man over the Ghostbusters, that that would be a version of hell. Yeah. He-Man. Come on. That's Come stupid. on, kid. Yeah. That kid probably grew up to be a serial killer. <laughs> um, I, you know, I forgot to ask this question. I, I don't even know. Do you believe in ghosts? Absolutely. Really? Yes. Any, any, I don't know, experiences that put you into that camp of, yes, you believe it. I mean, did you see a ghost before? I thought I did. Yes. I thought I've, there was a moment in time we went to this place, which I I won't say the exact location, but I was literally walking down a hallway in the middle of the summer and I could feel something cold go through my body and I literally almost pissed my pants. Wow. Like it wasn't like it was this moment where it wasn't just like a cold, like I could feel something literally go through my body. And um, did you have any narcotics at that time? Were you drinking? No. No. Cold medicine? Nope. Did you stay out too late the previous night? I mean, probably. Did you watch a scary movie before the incident and maybe psychologically were ready to be scared? I mean, I'm always ready to be scared. <laughs> okay. That's just how I live. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I believe it. I, I kind of want to believe, but every time I think I'm going to believe, I I just can't convince with whatever the evidence is. And and I've, I've been in situations where I've been freaked out. I mean, if you want, one of the coolest things I want to do out here is uh, Easter State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. I've been a couple of times during the day. And it's, it's amazing. It's just an amazing tour of an older prison. Al Capone was there, but during, you know, the Halloween on tax evasion. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) during the Halloween season, they do sort of a ghost tour and you can go with paranormal investigators, et cetera. And I I would love to do that. Um, even though I know I would scare myself silly. So I I am a fraidy cat, but I don't know what I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm afraid of whatever's in my head, but I don't know if I actually believe in ghosts. I had an experience, man. It was it was one of those things I'll never forget. So if given the opportunity to be a Ghostbuster today, like say, here's a job, you can apply for it, you can, make, you can sustain a living, support the family, go be a Ghostbusters, would you do it now? I know that's what you wanted to be when you were younger. No. You wouldn't nope. be a Ghostbuster now? No, because I don't believe in hunting either. So like, if ghosts are just living among us, I would not want to hunt them down. 
Okay, so you don't want to be a Ghostbuster? Nope. Mm. I would still like to be a ninja. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping I, I can go to that ninja school in Japan someday. <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah. Um, well, what else about this movie? I, I, I feel like we've successfully made our case and we're right. Oh, yeah. Yes, we are definitely right about this movie. And we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have started a podcast on this movie if, if we weren't right about it. I, I think we did as good of a job as Lewis did in defending the Ghostbusters from a courtroom perspective. Yeah. Like, I think we could be lawyers. And mother to me. Sorry, that's another <laughs> one of my favorite lines. Um, is it time for the question? Yes, please. All right. So, Brad, uh, episode 52, the one-year anniversary, we talked about Ghostbusters from 1989. Is Ghostbusters 2 a bomb? Absolutely not. Ghostbusters 2 is not an amazing – well, I don't even want to say it's not an amazing film. It's just a step down from the original, but it is still an enjoyable movie. I – love it just as much as the first one. And I think if people have that thought in the back of their head that it's not very good, I think they definitely need to revisit it and just kind of watch and see how funny, just how fun it is to be with those characters. I know we've said it, but just hanging out with those people for an hour and 45 minutes is worth it. I I agree hundred percent. I, I, this is not a bomb throw on your favorite comfy PJs, get, you know, your favorite bowl of potato chips or celery sticks. If you're watching your way, popcorn. Popcorn, popcorn, whatever it is. Yeah. Get some parkway popcorn. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give some of the criticism, uh, about rehashing the same structure, et cetera. I think the script is just as good, even though the plot may be hitting the same beats. I will say it has moments of tension, but you never really feel like the ghostbusters are any, are, are in any real danger or can't save the day. Which I think is okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, this thing works because the actors are so good at being these characters. Um, the dialogue is really strong. I like watching the relationship grow between the characters. The ghosts are fun. The whole thing just works. And the the cast, in my opinion, coupled with this screenplay, the first movie and the second movie is just lightning in a bottle. Like, I'm excited about this new Afterlife film. I think it looks like a lot of fun. But I also understand that anything that comes after these two films, it's just not going to be these two films. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I would have been okay with the 2016 film. Like I said, I can can sit here and talk about that 2016 film and have a list of things I really liked about it. But overall, it's just not a great experience. And if I'm going to watch another Ghostbusters film, it's it's one of these two. I, I, I would be surprised if I ever watched a 2016 film again, simply because these exist. Oh, I agree with you 100% yeah. on that. So that's the first year, man. It is. We're going we're we gonna to keep doing this, right? We are. We are going to keep doing it. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know it was like, hey, pandemic's over. Yeah, we're, we're done. We're done. <laughs> um, so that means you get no, to- we No, have, we have too much stuff scheduled out that I have to watch. So Okay, that makes sense. Um, so that means you get to pick movie 53 for season two or year two. You're yeah. kicking us off, man. I am. I'm kicking this off. We're welcoming Mr. Antonio Banderas to the show. We're going to watch 1999's action film, The 13th Warrior, which is um, considered one of the biggest bombs of all time. That does show up on. So if you go and Google box office bombs or biggest movie bombs, that's always in the conversation piece. Directed by who, Troy? I believe that would be Mr. John McTiernan. John McTiernan. Of um, diehard fame. 
I will, yes. I will say that I saw this film in the theater, so it is not a bomb because I gave it $9 back in 1999 <laughs> for however much. So, Have you watched it since then? I have not, actually. I've never, I haven't seen this since I saw it in the theater. I don't think I've watched it since it first came out on DVD. So I'm, I'm really excited to go back and revisit this because I remember kind of thinking it was pretty underrated because I saw it too in the theater and I was excited when the DVD came out and bought it. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to go back and revisit this thing. Yeah, me too. Um, Troy, if the listeners want to give us a recommendation or send an email to the show, that is not a bomb podcast, not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, what else? What else, Troy? I we gotta get. We have to make it two hours here. <laughs> no, no, I, we're good, man. I, I do just you wanted, remember. Do you remember when we first started? We were like, yeah, we'll go maybe like sixty minutes, seventy-five minutes, and then like there's some of our shows is like uh, we almost went three hours. So well, hey, honestly, you talk about Ghostbusters two. I don't know if you can take Ghostbusters 2 and turn it into like a two-hour podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the first 30 minutes is us just kind of catching up on something and um, maybe talking about a topic that the film addresses. One of the things that we'll always play with over the next year is just format. I mean, we've got the same structure. You talk about the numbers and maybe the reviews and when it came out, I give a little bit of background on the people who made the film, people who star in the film, maybe a little bit of development. And then really we just kind of share our thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to change. Um, and if anybody has any ideas or, Hey, you want to hear more of, you know, something that we do outside of the week that's movie related. Um, or if you want to hear less of something, <laughs> let us know. We'll, we'll take it under advisement. I, I do think it's interesting. And I, I didn't know, um, if you wanted to spend a minute or two, you and I obviously uh, watch movies outside of what's assigned for us this week. I mean, we shared a little bit of the background at the the last podcast, kind of said, hey, this is what we watched for the week. You and I both had a chance to kind of go to the movies and see another sequel in a horror franchise, right? Uh, yes, yes. So um, I took in The Conjuring 3. The No. Nope. There's no three in the title. Oh, it's... Sorry, Conjuring, Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It? Yes. Okay. Because I specifically think that's for a reason. Okay. Why is, what's the reason? Because <laughs> they didn't want people to think this is actually a, a real Conjuring movie. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it sucks that bad. Because it was Conjuring. Did they say Conjuring 2? Uh-huh. It's Conjuring 2. Okay. So Conjuring, Conjuring 2, and then not a Conjuring film, but The Conjuring, Devil Made Me Do It. You saw this in the theater too, right? I did. I did. I saw it with our friend Charlie... Uh, we saw the early bird special on Saturday. Oh wow! Eleven uh, thirty. So I was eating popcorn before noon. It's like having a beer before noon. I I gotta say, man, I love the Conjuring films. The first two, I like that Annabelle spinoff. Boy, I did not like the Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It at all. For a horror movie, they don't even try to scare you. It's like a detective story, which I, I just I'm not down for. For it's my not, Conjuring films. It's a boring detective story. <laughs> yeah, it is boring too. Yes. This is I'm, this is like visual NyQuil. Yeah. I've never wanted an hour and 40 minutes to go so fast in my life, but it, it was fighting the entire way. I, I don't know about you. I there's two telltale signs that I'm I'm kind of miserable in a movie theater. One, when 
you are actively like just struggling to stay awake and and you went into the theater fully energized you know you're ready to go it's not too early it's not too late i went in fully energized but oh my god i got to the point where i'm like i i hope i have more popcorn because that's the only like putting something in my mouth is the only thing that's going to keep me awake during a segment of this and then the other thing is my i'm just start kind of wiggling around in my seat my butt starts to hurt because uh, you start thinking about that not the movie well yeah you're just like well the you know my my butt's hurting and so therefore i've lost focus and and you know, movie theater experiences now are pretty nice because you get the nice recliners and everything else. But that—that's a sign of a bad film. If you're in a nice recliner and your butt hurts, that's your body telling you you should get up and move. Yeah, I—I I mean, I was excited to go to the movies. Like, I haven't seen a whole lot this year, obviously. And so, like, the Conjuring series is one that I really enjoy. Got to the theater, had to sit through a million previews. It was like, here's all the previews that you didn't see over the last year. Yeah. So let's show them all. And then you get into the, the movie and it's just so slow. And so, I mean, I, I already have a problem with like deifying the Warrens as these great people, which they're not, but you know, past no, that they're con artists. The movie is just so boring and just, I don't feel like anything actually happens and sort of the crux at the end is so contrived and uh, it's, it's bad. It's not good at all. And I, I wanted it to be good because I want to enjoy going back to the theater and it's like, great. I went to the theater and I want to have a good time. And this movie just absolutely ruined it. Did Charlie like it? He said it was fine. Oh, pff. all right. He's wrong. Charlie. Yeah, it's not fine. I would, if I was going to grade it on a scale of like one to 10, I would give it like a two and a half or three. I, I think that's what Cameron uh, said. Cause we were talking about it afterwards. He's like, I would give this a three out of 10. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm with you, bud. I, I mean, I usually can find something redeeming. There, there are two sequences in it that I kind of thought were interesting. And I, I was surprised I was awake for it though. Um, but I always have a problem with possession films to begin with because yeah. You know, let's face it, Exorcist set the bar. It, I think it's very really high. Yeah, really high. And the beautiful thing about The Exorcist is you don't get an exorcism until the end of the film. Yeah. Everything leading up to that is is very much a drama. And it goes through the whole scientific aspect of it. Bef- and then it starts to dabble into like the religious questions. Um, and you get these, sh- these just shocking imagery but it comes after your characters are established and you you get to a point where you, hey, I know what's on the line. I mean, it it really is about a girl's soul. Um, and that film just has a fantastic structure. The Conjuring 3 starts out with this. Dude, they allude to the, the exorcist right huge out of the in gate. the beginning. Yeah. It's like, here's this guy getting out of this taxi. We're going to look up and it's like. It could have been Max von Sydow getting out of that taxi. Like I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, they, they, they do the a. Sh- it's in the trailer too. They do a shot that is right out of you know the iconic oh. Exorcist poster. Yeah. Um, and you start the film with this exorcism that just sort of goes bad, and and it is a ripoff of the finale of The Exorcist. And while I'm watching this, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was, "Wow, you just totally screwed up." I mean. There's, I wonder if some of these filmmakers making these horror films understand tension that, you know, you aren't scared by showing scary images or gross images on screen. 
that fear comes from care of the characters yeah. and tension yep. and everything else. And when you start out with how the conjuring starts out, it just becomes like, I don't know, visual noise and auditory noise. And it, it's just noise. It, I feel nothing when I'm watching this. And I mean, as many movies as we've seen today, even what they're showing on the screen, you're like, what? Yeah. So what? I mean, it's, yeah. it's not impressive. Well, then they push, like, try to just tell you, like, oh, this is a true story. This really happened. This Arnie guy is a real guy. And I'm like, I, I could care less. I really don't care. So, yeah. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I do feel like the Warrens, I, I think it's fine that Hollywood takes real life people like that and says, oh, we're going to, we're going to make a story. It's different, sort of Holly, Hollywood eyes, you know, the, the actual characters of it. Um, and I love the first conjuring and I, I like the second one. I mean, the, the thing about this franchise, it's, it's obviously diminishing in quality, but you know, it doesn't bother me what they're doing with the Warrens because I know 100% that it's like, wow, those guys took advantage of a lot of situations and, and they are, you know, without a doubt con artists for all intent and purpose. But, um, I'm, I'm okay with taking that. I, I just, man, even how this film ends and it's like, well, here's a real, tape of what happened and et cetera. It's like, yeah, I still, still don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say it's on HBO max, the streaming. Like, I don't even know if I would waste my time there either, to be yeah. honest. I it's, I'm telling you folks, skip it. I, I, I am curious to go back and see, I, I haven't seen a quiet place too. I do want to see that. Um, cause I really like the first one, but you know, th yeah. that's the thing back in 1989, we were just discovering sequels right <laughs> sequels, we didn't have yeah. a lot of it and today you go to the movie theater and it's like everything's a sequel and like you said i mean i saw black widow which is a sequel uh maverick top gun that was the real problem anytime you show a tom cruise trailer <laughs> for like top the sequel to top gun i really don't care about your movie after that because i now i'm just sitting there watching the clock waiting for maverick that's my problem that's probably really what happened um all right man well what else i think we covered all our bases send us yeah. uh feedback um we love it i want to thank everybody who wrote in an email and asked us questions on our you know twitter instagram facebook um we love you guys i mean <laughs> it, it has been an absolute pleasure just over the last year talking movies and interacting with everybody um, absolutely agreed 100%. Um, i i think we've had um Great interaction with somebody like, uh, did I forget a guest? Was Nathan on the show at one point? Yes, you forgot Nathan. I forgot Nathan. Oh, my God. Nathan. I think he was on Samurai Cop. Oh, you're right. He was. We didn't put that on the list. Nathan, I apologize. Um, thank you for being on the show. Also, thank you for all the emails. Um, my favorite email that we've gotten is actually from Nathan. This is why I remember Nathan, because I was thinking about uh, the emails we got, that story about him putting in requests for the library. Oh yes, and then no turning everything down. Library. Yeah, uh, but they did take Tenebrae, so yeah. super yeah. excited. So I apologize, Nathan. And, and yes, Nathan, we will get to Death of Smoochie. Okay, we'll yeah, get there. we'll ask you on for that one um, because I know he loves that film. But uh, yeah, thank you for the last year of people kind of coming on the show and sharing our love for for these bombs. And um, we are looking forward to doing another year of it. And uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff lined up for the summer. We actually. do, we do. I'm excited. You know, we're, we've gotten a lot of the kind of the obvious choices out of the way. And now we're going to get like some more deep dives and stuff. So I'm excited. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. I'm excited for Antonio Banderas. 
See, nice. I said that. That was a good that was impression. Good. Yeah, that was good. It's right. River of Slime. <laughs> well, hey, folks. Um, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. Thank you for an awesome year. Uh, this pandemic kind of kicked our butts, but it was nice kind of going through this with all of you. And I don't think uh, I know personally, I would not have made it without, um, you know, doing this little shindig with you, Brad. So I appreciate yeah. all the time that you've just spent with me, you know, over the last oh, year yeah. talking movies. It's, you know, a great way to end the week and kind of put an exclamation point on the week and start anew. So I appreciate it. Thanks for everyone who listens and interacts and all that stuff. Jose, thank you for my uh, Southland Tales prequel saga. I, I will. I promise I'm going to read it um, and then probably rewatch Southland Tales. I'm sure it'll all make sense now. I guarantee it will. I can't wait to dive into mine. So, yes, thank you, Jose. And again, Nathan, a thousand apologies. You are you're part of the original year and um we can't wait to have you on for death to smoochie um but yeah like with that have an awesome day folks and we'll catch you next week when we talk about john mctiernan's 13th warrior thank you have a nice day